Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to episode 257 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast on my movie-loving website, matinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. As winter turns to spring for all of us moviegoers, the time to laud the films of the past year has arrived. That's right, folks. Oscar season is finally upon us. It's much later than usual for reasons we'll discuss, but yes... Just one week ago, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences unveiled the nominees for the 93rd Annual Academy Awards. Now, in case you're new here, I've always been much more interested in the nominees than I have in who wins, because the class of nominees stands as a tapestry of a year in film, as opposed to the award recipients that can get their flowers for all sorts of reasons. So that's why I choose to discuss that on the podcast instead of dedicating a podcast to predictions or reactions. However, I cannot talk about the nominees alone. No, I need my Oscar co-pilot, the woman who has been on more Oscar episodes on this podcast than I can count, who has been just full stop on more episodes than almost anybody else. The woman knows more about Oscars and classic film and just film full stop than almost anyone I know. She's unbelievably film savvy and it will make your head swim. She drops by once every year or two and it's always a good time. She's a contributor these days to Movie Phone and The Nerdist, amongst other places, direct from Los Angeles, California. Mariah E. Gates is here. How are you, Mariah? You know, I'm I'm okay. <laughs> you're holding in i know it's it's weird times you know it's been a it's been a weird year i also was just thinking about how the the first time i was on this was we were talking about the 2010 academy awards and now it's the 2020 and it that's a whole 10 classes of oscar it's contenders. yeah yeah <laughs> there was a lot to think I, about yeah th- there were you know there were years where i had my my brother who's probably like the other big oscar nerd who i know and there were years where i just didn't do it just because i wasn't feeling it but yeah, it, it's crazy to think that we've been doing this for the most part of 10 years we want to clarify right off the top that mariah's opinions are her own and do not reflect any media outlet that she has worked for or will be working for that is important also we want to call attention to the music in this episode we give our regular tracks a break and we instead feature clips from the music up for best original score so the music that you're going to hear underneath our conversation now and then will be uh, pieces of the soundtrack for Defy Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. We are going to discuss the nominees in the big eight categories. That's screenplay, acting, directing, and picture. In that class, the nominees are scattered across 16 films. Um, Mariah, how many of those 16 have you seen? Uh, believe it or not, I think all of them. Well, I, you you know you were yes. tormenting me this week because I saw on Twitter that you got your hands on the father. Like I was I'll already. Like, you know what? I just <laughs> emailed the press email on the Sony Picture Classics website. I was like, you know what? I'm I'm into emailing people these days. I I totally should have tried that because that, as it turns out, that was the only, yeah, that was the only one I hadn't seen either. (laughs) So I've, I've seen uh, 15 of those 16 movies. The only one I have not seen is the father. So anytime that comes up and it's going to come up a few times, um, we'll, we'll just kind of turn things over to Mariah. Um, So we start with the scripts. Um, We start with uh, best adapted screenplay. And in that category, we have Borat subsequent movie film. We have the father, we have Nomadland, one night in Miami and the white tiger. 
I don't think I could have guessed that Borat's subsequent movie film would have been nominated in this category back when it was first being proposed. But I guess I shouldn't be surprised because the first one got some love too, didn't it? Oh, it got an Oscar nomination. I actually liked this one more. I think it has a, a, a weight to it that the first one didn't. I think they both have, um, obviously, like satirical political weight, but this one has like a heart to it yeah. that, that the other one didn't. Um, and because my my uh, connection to the original one is with my father, having this movie be about a father-daughter, I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to cry. I'm- I mean, the only thing that's a little crazy is that the nominees are one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight writers uh, that, that are yeah. all nominated together. I don't know if that's a record, but it's it's got to be close. Nine. There's a story by with an extra person on there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's Nina, true. Nina. So it's ten, like nine or ten people. I don't know if they're even allowed to have that many. I don't know. <laughs> Probably good, not. Good for all of them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's 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 totally a worthy nomination. I am happy to see it there. So here's our first instance. Tell me about the father. Tell me like tell. I I think like a, a bunch of people actually don't even entirely know what it's about. Yeah. So I actually didn't really know what it was about going in. Um, but essentially, Anthony Hopkins plays a man who is slowly losing himself to dementia, and Olivia, Olivia. Coleman yes plays his daughter olivia williams is also in the film in a piece of wonderful casting i don't want to spoil why um but i was like oh this was smart when they did it like it it made me wish there this movie and promising young woman made me wish there was like a um creative casting nomination because the way that they subvert use the casting to subvert us the story points is just on point um but so he so the the film is kind of a chamber piece mostly between the two of them eventually you come to a realization of what you're actually seeing that's all that's all i'm gonna say hopefully that wasn't too spoily this is certainly not the first film about somebody dealing with losing their faculties as they get older you're saying that it takes that basic construct and it finds an interesting way to tell that story yeah and i know we're not talking about editing i don't think we're talking about editing Um, But I will say, of all the nominations that it received, uh, the editing nomination, I think, was very much um, deserved and possibly it should win there. Hmm. I'm just wondering how it worked as a a play, Hmm. Um, which is why I think as an adapted adapted screenplay, it must have – he must have taken what the play did and really ramped it because I can't imagine the way it plays out in the film i can't picture it working as a play huh. but it started as a play so that makes me very curious to read the play to be honest uh this is our first instance of discussing nomadland the script by chloe ja um everybody by this point knows my deep love for this movie and everything about it uh, i am really happy to see it here uh just because it needed a deft touch, I think, really to mine that book and really come up with the heart of the story in a way that wasn't going to make people just kind of disengage. So I am really happy to see Chloe Zhao's name in script. Um, she, I think she was also in editing as well, isn't she? She is a four-time nominee for editing, screenplay, 
producing and directing. Way to go, Chloe. I'm always interested when a film takes a nonfiction and turns a story in there, kind of like Under the Tuscan Sun. I have to bring Under the Tuscan Sun up because I read (laughs) the book and the book and the movie are nothing alike, but the heart of what they're trying to do are the same. And I and I feel like this is a good case of that where the main character in the film is made up for the film and is just planted in the world of the nonfiction book. And I think uh, Chloe did a really great job of crafting a fictional person whose story reflects the real people who are um, chronicled in the book. Totally. Um, One Night in Miami is a film I think got a little underrepresented on Oscar morning, but I'm still happy that it got some love. Uh, Kemp Powers is here based on his play. This is a script and a half. I think if I had a vote, this actually might get my vote. It does such a wonderful job of taking these four completely iconic characters and turning them into real vulnerable people. And in this, everybody really feels like the character they're playing and feels like interpretations of them rather than mimicking or like an SNL kind of style. Yeah. Like there was another movie that we're that we're going to mention a few more times that was based on a play, but this one, it felt a little less stagey. Like he he was able to take his original work and kind of retool it in a way that gave it a little bit more cinematic weight. I would agree with that. I think it opens and could have been all in that one in that one spot. And I think again, I know we're talking about screenplay, but I think that also has to do with Regina really figuring oh, totally. out wh- how, where it can open up and where it can feel more like all of Miami and not one night in a Miami hotel room. And then we have the White Tiger, the screenplay by Ramin Barani, which I hadn't even really heard about coming into Oscar morning. And that's kind of what I love about the <laughs> nominations because. So, I, I obviously had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. I, I worked on this movie. <laughs> um, this was a Netflix release at the beginning of this year. And this is the kind of thing I love because this is going to get a whole lot more eyeballs on it because it's mentioned in this class. I am so happy that it's here. I watched it last night. This is a great movie. So Ramon Barani had actually, like, he's been a player in award space for a long time. Um, his first film, Man Push Cart, was nominated for an independent, multiple independent spirit awards. Same with Chop Shop, his second film. They've both just been released by Criterion. His third film got nominated for an indie spirit. Um, 99 Homes was pushed really hard. I think Michael Shannon got a couple of critic awards for mm-hmm. it, but it sort of just petered out. Um, and then The White Tiger came and he he's at, he's actually friends with the author and had been trying to make this this book came out in 2008 he'd been trying to make this adaptation for 12 years and thankfully um you know he got it under the the face of um Ava DuVernay and uh Priyanka Chopra Jonas that's how the film got made and I'm I'm I think it would have had even more impact during the recession because it is definitely a film about the global um sort of shift during that time period. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it also still, it still works because it is a very timely story about, you know, like in America, we have that, that pull yourself up or your bootstraps sort of thing, but it makes it very clear that like nobody can actually pull themselves up. Like he, he literally had to <laughs> play the game in a dirty way in order to get just like a boost into 
being maybe be able to be a businessman, right? It's a really uh, deft way as well of exploring the caste system as well. Like I read the book Cast uh, about a month or so ago, and it's a really amazing read that makes people understand that the inequalities of our society go beyond race that you know that that race can move back and forth and up and down but there must always be a top and a bottom and they they bring it up specifically um by name uh within the white tiger they they talk about like what cast are you and what cast should you be if you're you know if you're trying to get ahead and that kind of thing and it bakes it all into this like two hour breakneck movie like uh, we got to like I don't know, 20 minutes left or 25 minutes left. And I remember looking at the clock and thinking, we're about to like really put the hammer down and, and just like go full bore into this. Cause there's a lot that we got to figure out now and it just goes for it. It's an, it's an incredible script. It's a really good movie. I love that people are going to find it now because of this nomination um, over in best original screenplay. We have, Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Let's start with Aaron Sorkin. That is the most written of all of these movies. I don't know if it's the yeah. best original screenplay, but it's certainly the most screenplay. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how I feel um, on this one. It's very wordy and and is about words, you yeah. know. Yeah, um, like the the genuine is is like about grammar, yeah. which is I mean it works. Um, and I think the actors pull it off. I think you have to cast a movie that is this written really mm-hmm. well, or, yeah. or it's going to be a disaster. Sorkin is is kind of he's doing something weird. I, I think I brought this up when we talked about Trial of Chicago Seven. If not, I'm bringing it up now. He's starting to drift into this era of his career where he's gaining more and more say over his projects. And there are a lot of other directors and writers and producers, men, all men who are drifting into the same territory of having more and more autonomy over their projects. And I am fully on the side of these artists need somebody who will tell them no, because he is a very, very talented writer and, you know, has written some of the most fabulous screenplays of the certainly last decade. You know, when you when you co- combine stuff like Social Network, Moneyball, Steve Jobs, I will go to bat for Molly's Game because that is a fantastic movie. But now that he's also directing his movies, it's he's getting more control over his own script. And I don't know that that's doing him a good service. Yeah, I agree. I think some people are writers. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and he's certainly a writer. Yeah. And I think he needs that collaboration to make his because um, you look at something like his 90s output even. I know people are really uh, think of him and they think of everything post West Wing, but he had some great screenplays in the 90s too oh, yeah. that were defining films of that era. Um, and it's because somebody took his writing and made it cinematic. In, in another year, I don't think it would have done as well as it did uh, on Oscar morning, but the, this, you know, the, these are strange times. Sound of Metal is the first time we're talking about that movie. That's such a delicate script. You, you take that kind of idea and there's a lot of different ways you could go with that concept of a musician suddenly dealing with a disability and just trying to make heads or tails out of what he does next. Um, this story by Darius Martyr and uh, Abraham Martyr, um, this is a gorgeous and, story. And and Derek Sion oh. France, which, which I think is crazy that he 
finally got an Oscar nomination and it's a story by credit. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. And he wrote, you know, Blue Valentine, which is one of the great, like, shitty romance well, not yeah. shitty, but like the d- bad relationships movies yeah, yeah. of all time. Yeah. Um, and even Place Beyond the Pines, I think, is is just a wonderful film. And he finally broke through by someone else. I don't know. This Yeah, this movie, it's, it's a beautiful script. I love this movie. It's another one that could easily have fallen into tropes that are treacly. It's never once that. It's It always feels grounded. It always feels real. And I, I do think, again, part of that is having a cast that is so authentic. You don't get enough treacly these days. I like that. That's a good word. Thank you for that. (laughs) Promising Young Woman, Emerald Fennel. I'm sure we'll have lots to say about Promising Young Woman going forward. But this script, this has a lot of weapons in its arsenal and its script might be its most potent one. I think the script is really smart. The film is so divisive because of marketing, not because of the content, in my opinion. I think it was marketed as one thing, and so people thought it was one thing, and the people who don't like it are angry because it wasn't what it actually is. It did it a disservice for the people who thought they were getting Ms. 45 when that's not what this movie is. Right. Um, But I, I, I think what she did to try to tackle grief and also the concept of nice guy. I think I think we haven't really had a movie that has since the 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 trope of nice guy has truly become like something people understand. Mm-hmm. It used to be friend zone and finally people realize that friend zone is the nice guy kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um I think we're finally in a fa- in a phase where scripts that are honest about how awful most men are even when they think they're nice. Yeah. Um this is the first truly good film to tackle that theme um and and it does it really well another film we'll be talking about a lot is minari is it minari or is it minari i think it's minari okay i've been hearing like i think the actual pronunciation of the herb is minari but i'm thinking in my head it might be like tomato tomato but i haven't heard anybody not say minari so i'm just going to keep running with that um lee isaac chung this the story is gorgeous um this is i really believe this is the kind of movie that would get buried any other year a lot of the movies that are getting their love this year i am just so happy to see them all betting on themselves um you know they they took a look at the landscape and saw a lot of bigger properties and flashier productions putting themselves on the shelf and saying we need or want or both the money. So they opened up the window to these other productions and productions like Minari and Sound of Metal and Promising Young Woman were like, you know what, you're going to open that window. We're going to go right through it. I watched a lot of Q&As. The one thing I will say that has been great about both the pandemic and me not having a job is that I've had a lot of time to watch like literally every Q and a that was offered. And between the LA times film independent and American cinematech, there have been a ton of them. Um, And so I watched one with Lee Isaac Chung where he talked about the screenplay and all of the moments in it that for me, when I watched it, I didn't like hearing him explain why he had those moments made me rethink my own reaction. So in particular, I don't really want to spoil. So I'm just going to say there is, there's a certain thing that happens at the end that I thought was just outlandish and ridiculous. And it kind of ruined it for me at first. And then when I heard him talk about where the screenplay came from and the moments that came from his real life, that was actually a moment that actually happened 
to his family. And I was like, oh, shit. Because it's one of those things that, like, when it really happens, you're like, wow, you couldn't write that. And so I thought he had written it and it was false, right? But it turns oh. out, no, it was like, wow, you can't actually write that. It really happened. I do love um, when you get that that added context right? by listening. Yeah, it's, it's, it it's made amazing. Me, it made me rethink my entire thought of the film. Listening to him <laughs> talk about how he developed a little moments from his memory into this story made me rethink my entire like take on this movie it's it's another beautiful story it's a really subtle story it's a story of real stakes it's an american story which you know i know a lot of people would be caught off guard with that it certainly caught the golden globes off guard um and yeah i'm I'm so happy that it's got a lot of love and we'll be talking about it a bunch in other categories and then there's judas and the black messiah which uh, I, I don't know if I was that crazy about it, but I am always happy to see a film like Judas and the Black Messiah get some love. Um, it's another movie that took advantage of the, the the window that was able to be open for people to for productions to get nominations. Um, the screenplay by Will Burson and Shaka King, um, you know, I, I think it's and the fl- Lucas brothers and, and the, the Lucas, Lucas brothers. brothers. I, I, I think it's a flawed movie, but I am, I, I do like its script for sure. Well, I will say, I think this movie would have made it through any time. I like that the, both the Lucas brothers had a screenplay and Shaka King had a sc- screenplay and they managed to meet each other, figure out how to combine it and get Warner brothers to pay for this movie. Um, and I, I actually saw two different um, Q&As with Shaka King also, and he talked a lot about how the way he elevator pitched it was basically like, okay, what if I make a CIA kind of movie, sort of spy thriller kind of feeling thing, but really it's about Black Panthers. He was saying how um, Fred Hampton wouldn't have wanted uh, a biopic, a true biopic about him anyways, because it wasn't about him. It was about the movement. Yeah. And so how do you figure out how to tell his story without it being a by the books biopic and also get a budget? And I think between the four of them, they came up with a really smart way to do that. Does it 100% succeed? I don't think so. It's another one where the casting, yes, they cast two of the best working actors today and they got nominations and I'm glad but the characters were 19 and I think you lose a lot of the weight of both what they're doing as teenagers, but also their shattered lives and the death of Fred Hampton. I think you lose that. And, and, and specifically in a time where we're seeing teenagers murdered every day in this country, showing having actual skinny teen, well, Fred Hampton wasn't skinny, but like, you know, pimply faced teenagers standing up to the government like this, like that would have been so impactful. You're right. Thinking about this moment and seeing it as a kid up there and don't get me wrong. Like Daniel Kaluuya is still not exactly what I'd call a mature actor, but he's what is he like he's 13 years older you know he's he's still he's still young but when you consider that fred hampton was 26 he's 32 i was gonna say he's younger than me i'm 35 he's 32 (laughs) he's 32 but i mean but he's still but like he's still older than hampton was when he died right and like hampton would have had to like build himself up to that kind of notoriety you know by the time he got the fbi's attention so yeah if we had of cast somebody younger in this movie it would have been a different I mean, story that's not the script balls, though all right we're gonna take a quick break here and we're gonna come back and talk about some actors right after this so uh, don't go anywhere OK, 
Okay, so we're going to begin in the acting categories with Best Supporting Actress. We have uh, Maria Bakalova for Borat, subsequent movie film, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Colman for The Father, Amanda Seyfried for Mink, and Yoon Yoo Jung for Minari. Yoon Yoo Jung, I was so bloody happy that she made the cut. Like, she seemed to be trending in the right direction almost from the moment that movie arrived. But anytime you get a, a non-name these days, and certainly in a smaller film, it has a it has a possibility of getting left off. We got it in both categories. We got a, like a, a non-flashy name in both categories. But I was so happy. Yeah, and and the added layer. There's two added layers to to that too. Is that her performance is mostly not in English. That is yeah. still very rare. And yeah. she's an older woman. And that oh, is yeah. also very rare. And the cool thing is she's been around for a long time. She's been around, she's been acting for like 50 years. 50 years, yeah. It's great to see her get some love. Like, you know, you kind of figure after 50 years, you've carved out your little niche. You're making your, your living. You're doing okay. You don't expect to get an Oscar nomination after 50 years of acting. Especially, um, I love how, she, you know, she talked about, I think she may be the first Korean to get an acting nomination. And I mean, she's basically representing the entire history of Korean cinema doing that. And yeah. That's got to be a whole other crazy feeling, you know? No, I, I was so happy to see her in this. Uh, Amanda Seyfried, this is the first time we're talking about Mank, um, which was the movie that got the most nominations. Um, and I think that doesn't surprise anybody because that movie seemed to be angling for a big splash, uh, basically from concept. <laughs> Uh, Seyfried, I, I did enjoy the heck out of her in that movie. While I found Mank a little problematic, um, she did fantastic. And I'm, I'm really happy to see where her whole career has gone. She's played the game really well in that she's done a lot of, you know, flashy for every Mamma Mia that she's done. She's done an independent film to <laughs> sort of make sure that she gets paid but also like works on her craft yeah and like she was you know obviously she was on um twin peaks of return and uh, she was luminous in that literally like literally her eyes were so big but um (laughs) that's her (laughs) whole i think often there's like a young person thrown into this category um early in their career and it's nice to see someone i think she's my age i think she's about 35 so it's nice to see somebody over teen years over the 20s or at least finally be considered a serious actress in her mid thirties. Like that is pretty rare. Yeah. You run, you really run the risk of getting pigeonholed. I mean, like, let's not, let's not sugarcoat it as well. If you're a young actress in Hollywood, you have a whole other minefield that you need to navigate. Uh, you know, like I have stopped asking on this show, whatever happened to her, because in the back yeah. of my brain, I'm starting to think, well, now I could probably guess. And I probably always should have been able to guess. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, 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 I'm hoping that she turns this into even more great things. She's been on a nice little run. Um, yeah. You know, this, this category is kind of wide open. So for all I know, she may take the trophy. Um, Olivia Coleman, uh, you know, she, she's happy to be back. I'm sure. Like, I don't, I don't think she expected to be back quite so quick after the favorite she has one really good scene that is incredibly emotional and i'm sure is why she got this nomination but honestly between the two olivias in this movie i think olivia williams does something more interesting with her role and i don't want to say what it is because it is you have to see the movie um if anything you have to see the movie to understand 
I think what she did in the film is more interesting, but not as showy because she doesn't get an emotional moment. Yeah, you're it's it's you're killing me here because I'm at least a week away before I can see the father. <laughs> at this point, I might just email Sony and you see what just I can find. Email the guy. I should email the guy so that I can see the father and finally, like you know, like get some thoughts out about this movie, the one movie that was an outlier in this whole class that I didn't get to see. <laughs> I shouldn't complain that much because listen, there's a lot of Canadians who still haven't seen Nomadland yet or Minari. Yeah. So me not having seen the father is really small potatoes. Glenn Close and Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, yeah. I will say, I will say, so I worked on this movie and I got to interview Glenn Close and her dog. Oh. Um, so I might not have enjoyed her in this film, but she is very nice and her dog was adorable. So <laughs> maybe, you know, because it'll be virtual, maybe the dog will be in at the Oscars and frankly, the dog deserves. Glenn Close is immensely talented and she probably should have had a trophy by now like you could you could probably make a case that she could have she should have won in 87 for fatal attraction Um, she is one of she's tied with geraldine page for the fourth most nominated actress in oscar history wow they both had eight and but she uh, has never won so she's also the most oscar losing and if she loses this time she'll be the most oscar losing actress I mean, it's funny because, yeah, once again, once again, we have a category with Glenn Close and Olivia Coleman again. Oh, um, so, so it's yeah. like we're, we're, we're history is repeating itself. Now, listen, all of that said, Glenn Close is immensely talented and she should have had a trophy already. Not for this. This is. This I is really a, hope not for this. Like, this I would have preferred Albert Nobbs and I didn't even like Albert Nobbs. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. I mean, Albert like, Nobbs was at like, least a good performance in a in a you know, a subdued and interesting movie that had things to say. Um, This movie is uh, like, this is a sledgehammer of a movie. Okay. Even if it doesn't get it right, it at least taps on some ideas that a lot of people who are not living in rural America probably can conveniently skate right past when, when they think about these kinds of themes. And we've got a book that I found interesting and you're like, is a piece of trash. Then yes. we hand that over to Ron Howard and his people and we get something even more trashy. That's, that's It's, it's you know. really bad. I, I watched it for the sake of this conversation. I am never going to think about it again. I can say she's probably the best thing in it, but that's yeah. not really Actually, saying Actually, no, much. I think... I think the best performance in it, and the only one that feels like a real person at all, is um, Haley Bennett. Haley Bennett feels like a real person. That's true. That's and, true. And feels like maybe she's the only one who actually understands like emotions, yeah, like, real human emotions. Yeah. So <laughs> in the whole movie, <laughs> if you're the kind of person like us who who goes down the rabbit hole of of watching the films that get nominated for Oscars, when you get to Hillbilly Elegy, just have your phone close is what, I, is what, I, what I'd probably have to yeah. say. And I never yeah. advise that. Uh, then we've got Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film. This, this is, is a this fabulous. Is here. Yeah, this is a fabulous nomination. Um, this would not have happened any other year. I am so bloody happy that she's here. It might have. I mean, there's there's occasionally room for for an outlandish comedy performance true i don't think anyone could have done this performance like no. i can't i cannot picture anybody like a name being able to do this performance physical transformation happens but the emotional transformation on top of it it's just so many layers to this and you don't expect a layered performance in a borat movie like you no. don't that shouldn't be there and yet and and a part of it is um and i've said this before and i'm pretty sure i said it on this podcast 
in 2012 or whatever year that was. Sasha Baron Cohen is a great actor, and he – I know we'll get to him, but he should have been nominated for uh, Les Mis, and he should have been nominated for the original Borat, and there's a couple other performances where he should have been nominated, and I'm glad he finally got through. But he's a great emotional actor mm-hmm. and gave a, a lot to her, and so they were able, I think, to bring out a lot in each other. Yeah. Like, I mean, what I love about this performance is I hate to use the word brave, but I want to say it's 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 a performance that shows a lot of trust in the story because Sasha got her to do some really crazy shit, some really, really crazy shit. And the one thing that need, that we need to remind people about with Borat is he's staging a lot of this crap. And there's once in a very blue moon where he'll tip his hand. He did tip his hand of one thing in this movie that has nothing to do with, with Maria, but generally speaking, he's going into these situations and everybody else who's around him is blind. This time he's bringing Maria in on the fray and, you know, ultimately he sends her in on her own. And that is really, really gutsy, you know, to, to like literally put yourself out there and trust the material, trust the project and do something that I don't know if I had would have the guts to do half of what she does. She it's it's a fantastic performance and and really just amazing to see what she what she gets and you know it she, like she she becomes the secret weapon of this whole movie. If it was just Bor- I mean Borat doing his thing all over again probably would have been funny, but this elevates it into something really really special. So I'm happy to see her name getting mentioned in this category. So over in supporting actor with the boys, we have Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago 7, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami, Paul Racy for Sound of Metal, and Lakeith Stanfield for Judith and the Black Messiah. So let's start with Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, he had a fantastic year. Like you were just saying, he is an underrated talent. I am really, really happy to see him get nominated, even if I am a little bit dodgy on the trial of Chicago 7. I am I'm happy to see him here. I'm team Sasha Baron Cohen always have been. And mm-hmm. and again, I, I think he should have been nominated multiple times, but I'm grateful that it's this performance in that this film had a 12 year production history from when it was first forced to get made. Spielberg was originally supposed to direct it. Honestly, I think the Spielberg version probably would have been better, yeah. but um, from, from Sorkin screenplay and Sasha Baron Cohen was tapped to play Abby Hoffman. And he was actually the right age. Um, so that he was the actual age Abby Hoffman was at the time. He's too old now. But when it finally got, it was really going to happen again. Um, and, you know, greenlit, he called Aaron Sorkin and he was like, this is my role. I mean, I think the good news is this last year has really reaffirmed just how bloody talented this man is and that we have not finished with him. Like this guy is more than just shocking stunts like he's more than bruno and the dictator and borat like he is first of all tremendously smart and is able to find different things from different characters um as we saw with his performance of abby hoffman both in terms of like the zaniness that he would bring to some of those courtroom moments but also to you know, like like you said, like talking about grammar in the middle of an argument and understanding that that was where things went wrong. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. is having a great little year. He's a two-time nominee this year because he did the song for One Night in Miami as well. His work in One Night in Miami is pretty damn impressive because it's a room full of a lot of ego and a lot of machismo and 
he not, he never gives an inch. And again, this is a performance where it could easily have felt like an, um, an impersonation. In this case, not only does Leslie Odom Jr. sound like Sam Cooke, um, he sounds like him when he's talking, but he doesn't sound like he's trying to sound like him. He just is mm-hmm. Sam Cooke somehow. And, and he did a lot of work with a voice coach to get to this place, like all the actors did, to get to these places. You almost, you close your eyes and you almost think it's just Sam Cooke. And, and the way that I think Odom really gets what Sam was about as a, as a business person and an artist and finding the way to combine those two things to make a difference, I think really resonates with where his career as a, as an actor himself is. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's why you really get something so, so deep from him. I mean, I, I think he, he got a bit of an unfair advantage in the work that he put in as Aaron Burr. He's got this lift in terms of playing, you know, the, the, the heads to another Titan's tails um, in, in terms of an argument and in terms of, of, of going one on one. I'm so happy that he is now making his way in Hollywood because he's just way, way too talented to only be on Broadway. Like this is this guy. He he should be EGOT. And I imagine he will be by the time he's done. And I'm, I was so happy to see him land in this movie, land his performance so damn well, and now get the love. I imagine he'll be back in one category or another. This is this is just the beginning of of his star's ascent, which is crazy to say because he's been at it for, for so long already. He was in an episode of Gilmore Girls 20 years ago. <laughs> oh my God. I'm gonna have to <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. Paul Racy yeah. Paul Racy is the kind of actor who this category is supposed to be for uh these these kind of lunchbox carrying jobbers it looked for a hot minute like he wasn't gonna make the jump like there the his work in this movie was getting a lot of push from the usual corners and it he just kind of seemed to be trending down as we were getting towards oscar morning so the fact that he his name was called the fact that he's here like let's see what i'm gonna have a huge career no matter what a guy yeah. like paul racy this is a huge mark on his resume um what's interesting is that paul paul racy is the only actor playing a fictional character i love that he was cast because he is an actual child of of deaf parents and so he's fluent in sign language they cast someone who didn't have to learn it um, he just lived he's lived this life the big winner at sundance this year was coda which stands for a child of deaf adults and that's the whole the whole plot of that film is sort of explaining what what that world is like and to have a film where they didn't ha- the cast didn't have to learn you know and then the thing that's great about coda is that the deaf characters are all actual deaf actors and you mm. you don't get a lot, you don't get a, you don't see a lot of that and to have um this character who's been you know he's been in a bunch of television and films and bit parts here and there but because he had the skill they were looking for they cast him instead of finding another actor and then teaching it. And then it turned out because he had that skill and he had that empathy and he had that lived in experience with this community, he brought something extra to the role. And I think that speaks to why you should be hiring people who have that lived experience because that is part of their toolbox. His performance in this movie is so beautiful because he shows the kind of patience that this kind of character would require. A lot of people who come to his door are people who are really stressed, 
um, possibly dealing with some anger, possibly dealing with, probably dealing with depression. And it takes a certain demeanor to help them navigate what they're going through. You know, I'm sure Paul Racy is an immensely talented actor, but all the same, I don't think you can fake that. I really get the impression that this is a patient man and that, like you say, like some of the things he's gone through in his life, including being a Coda himself, has hardwired him for this sort of a performance and that this movie just gave that side of this actor a chance to show. There's a lot of really strong performances and strong actors, but frankly, I would be delighted if if Paul Racy came oh, and, me too. and 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 won. But I of all of these performances, this is the one that hit me in a deep emotional place. Then we get yeah. to Judas and the Black Messiah where we have that two... apparently has no no lead <laughs> actors in this movie. Right? So we have both Daniel Kaluuya <laughs> and Lakeith Stanfield, which tells us that neither Judas nor the Black Messiah are the lead of this movie, which What's What's so funny <laughs> is that like Warner Brothers tried to um campaign Lakeith as lead. That's what they put on all the press material. And like, you know, when they send it to, to voting members, yeah. they put for your consideration in the lead role. But what I think happened here is like they, Daniel was always going to get nominated supporting. That's what they pushed him for. What I think happened with Lakeith is he was so well liked at this point. And I think part of that is the body of work that he's mm-hmm. done since short term 12. Yeah. That I think, enough people put him in both categories that he made it into the uh, the wrong category he was probably sixth in best actor yeah you know what i mean yeah like um or at least in the top 10 in the in best actor it's it's it's, it's a weird strange thing they, to see you can campaign one way it doesn't mean that it, that the voters are gonna listen to how you're campaigning because that's not actually it's not like the emmys where you submit in a certain category the grammys where you submit in a certain category you're yeah. just suggesting the category where, where people go yeah one of these two characters either judas or the black messiah must be a lead you know i really and truly i, I love there you I love really truly they're co-leads, right? You know, like, I mean... Yes, they're co-leads. And so, I love when, when the nominations came out and Twitter, everyone was like, Jesse Plemons wakes up to discover he's the lead. <laughs> uh, like, you know... You, well, you, I, I do want to give a shout out to Jesse Plemons, though. He's just the nicest dude and such a great actor. He is. Some, I, someday he will be the lead. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, like, the, the thing is, is that I, I have nothing bad to say about Daniel Kaluuya or Lakeith Stanfield in this movie. I have problems with this movie, but it's nothing to do with the acting. They are both acting their asses off, but either one of them's a lead, they're both a lead, or nothing. <laughs> you know, like I, I, they're, yeah. they're not both supporting. It doesn't work yeah. like that. Uh, I mean, on top of the fact that the 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 dumb thing now is they may very well cancel each other out. There are plenty. Of, there are plenty of times where two actors from the same category have gone in together and one of them has and won. Like supporting I'm thinking, to, or an actress to like the help. Yeah. The help, um, you know, rain man, it happened in lead, uh, Amadeus it happened in lead. Um, it's, it, it's possible that we may still see one of these two men called some may even say probable at this point, but it just makes it that much weirder that you, and you don't have any lead, any one lead performance, but you have two supportings. Ah, Oscar, you never (laughs) fail to amuse. So then uh, speaking of leads, we have the women. We have Best Actress. We have Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. 
Andre Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby in Pieces of a Woman, Francis McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman. This is now the second time an actress has been nominated for Best Lead Actress for playing Billie Holiday. She is officially Elizabeth I, basically, in terms of how many, like, if you play her, you're probably going to get nominated, which I think is great. I, I was thinking about that because I, I watched that this week when it when it got nominated. Um, I didn't really I wasn't really paying it too much attention when it first dropped. But the second it, it kind of landed here, I'm like, well, I waited. Now we're I honestly waited because Lee Daniels is so hit and miss. You oh, know? yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'd heard I'd heard not great things. This is another movie that had good casting. Yes. You know, so I, I, I want I want Trevante Rhodes to be in literally everything. Of course. Um, He can. He can be dramatic. He yep. can be charming. Yep. He can be funny. Yep. Like he can be a, 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 you know, drug dealer or he can be a DEA agent. It doesn't matter. He can do anything. You can put him in a, in a, you know, 40 style hat or you can put him in like no clothing and he works. You totally. know what I mean? Um, I, I think love him. one of the things I loved about Andre Day in this performance is I, I do enjoy when they cast singers to play singers because then they're just going to get up there and sing you know like there's there's no and her voice really has the timber like she captured the timber of of billy like you almost can't tell the difference yep yep and she was able to really slip into those harder moments of billy holiday's life this category is kind of wide open it's it's entirely possible that she could win i don't know um there's there's a lot that needs to be determined in between now and then um viola davis is back she what she set some sort of record now too didn't she she yeah she's now the most nominated black actress with four nominations to in lead i think and two in supporting yeah um that said she should have been in supporting for this film. It yeah. is a supporting role when it was nominated for Tony's when it was originally on Broadway. This role was a featured role. So, yeah, um, that's, you know, it's they're, they're going to do what they're going to do. With, I mean, um, and the thing is, she was the lead in she was a co-lead in, in uh, fences, fences and they yeah. put her in supporting so she'd win. Yeah. So they just flipped it and it's like, just pretend the other they're flipped and it's fine. <laughs> um, I mean, she was great in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I, I like she we're seeing a different type of performance out of her. Um, you know, it, I it, think like, she's hit. It sucks that she had to turn 50, be the most nominated black actress of all time to be able to get the fierce kind of roles that you know she always could have done. She spent a friggin' decade playing, like, Julia Roberts' best friend, and yeah. it sucked, Yeah, right? She was good in all of those roles. Like, I've seen a lot of her shitty roles before uh, Doubt, and even some after Doubt, where she was, like, the best friend in that. She was the best friend in a Diane Lane, Richard Gere, Nicholas Sparks movie. Like, she <laughs> should have gotten these roles when she was younger, and she got them on Broadway. You know, she did a lot of great Broadway. But to break into this industry, she had to play crap roles for 20 years. I will try to find for the show notes of this episode. There is a, there's like a, a video of her doing a Q&A. She name drops her contemporaries like Julianne Moore, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett. But all these women that all she's these women, the same the, age. Same as. age and like same level of success. And she's like... 
you have no idea how many times like they will get offered this part, this part, this part, this part, this part. And it never comes to me. She's like, I have every single award they have and more in some cases. And yet I'm still sitting here waiting. Um, You know, like, yeah. Traffic in 2000, one of my all time favorite movies, traffic. She's in there for like 30 seconds as the social worker. You know, yeah. to, to to ask Erica Anderson some questions about why she's why she happens to have been picked up on drugs. If nothing else, I just hope that she stays happy and healthy and she just keeps cranking out nominations now that people are finally paying attention to her. Vanessa yeah. Kirby is an interesting case because Pieces of a Woman is not a pleasant movie. Uh, I hated this movie so did much. You really? And not, um, not because it's a difficult watch. I think to bring my favorite word back, treacly, there's a fine line between sanctimonious and like compelling and i don't think it lands on the right side of the but line did, did did you did you get the metaphor of the bridge being built oh, because it's, it's a and really the, it's a really subtle touch the apples yeah was it the apples oh god i, I mean just, yeah this movie. i mean l- listen one of the things i do like though about um it, it happens now and then um is Oscar, I, I appreciate more when they recognize a good performance in a bad movie than the other way around. Like, I hate. That's true. That's true. I, it's yes. I hate I would when agree they get that. carried away with one particular project and then just start throwing nomination after nomination after nomination at it. There's one that we'll get to in the next category. Um, and, you know, I'd rather you say this movie's not good, but you're good in it. Um, Vanessa yeah. Kirby is not a big name. Um, she, this is going to do things for her. And I'm hoping that she'll be able to parlay this into parts in better pictures. And you know, who's great in it. Absolutely fantastic in it. Molly Parker is oh, great in this yes, movie. Is. Yeah. I, and I, that character, like I would rather see a movie about a poor working class doula who gets screwed over by these rich people who, <laughs> who try to sue her for something that wasn't her fault. Oh, like, but nobody would see that movie, but it would be great. They, didn't, they don't ever even like, it's like, I feel like the filmmakers never even understood that on top of the personal tragedy, they, these people have ruined someone else's entire livelihood because even though she doesn't spoiler alert, she doesn't, you know, get convicted. Her, no one's ever going to hire her again. Yeah. Yeah. her job because all they know is the headlines yeah weren't you that midwife that was arrested oh yeah but I was, it was overturned i'm fine oh okay and the, movie, and the movie doesn't address that layer of it at all no and i no. just i just don't understand yeah i i know everybody was all uh losing their stuff over lakeith sanfield now being the third actor out of short-term 12 to get an to get an oscar nomination i want to point out that vanessa kirby is the third car- third actor in jupiter ascending to get it oh, to get it well there you go <laughs> you know it's jupiter ascending an right? actual great film yeah so yeah <laughs> Francis McDormand, I think in any other year, could be turning this into gold uh, for Nomadland, for Fern. I mean, she, there, there's not a moment in that movie that she is not in. I totally believe that her involvement in that project cannot be understated and, and helped it uh, to, to become uh, a little bit bigger than what it could have been. Because if Chloe Zhao had done her normal trick, and I mean, most of this movie is just everyday people, um, you know, with the, with the exception of McDormand and um, David Strathairn. Um, but 
McDormand's involvement, it raises the profile just that little wee bit and is able to give it the love that it got. What I love specifically, like with this one too, is that she read this book, she wanted to make it into a movie, she brought it to Chloe Jaw, and Chloe wrote this role for her and you feel that in it. I totally do. And she does everything wonderfully in this movie. Nobody else would have been able to move through these spaces and command your attention and still play an every woman the same way that Frances McDormand does. I am so happy to see her here. It's actually a, a, a statement on how good a year it was um, for for actresses in film that she's not the clear front runner in this in this category even though again she could very well win um it, you know she's not she's not out of it by any chance i really okay of all of these women i'd say vanessa kirby don't write a speech everybody else be prepared because who, yeah who could, knows it, yeah, who knows <laughs> it, it, could, it could be your name um then we get to carrie mulligan welcome back carrie mulligan um who her return to the oscar stage is way overdue after way her- overdue i feel like there's no actress who in the last 12 years has a stronger cv than carrie mulligan because if the film isn't great she is great in every single film that she's done and and speaking of choosy like she only does one one maybe two a year because she picks roles that are worth her talent (laughs) and i love that about her because she is so talented and she deserves and i wish she's someone like gugu imbathara who is also great but doesn't do that like gugu is less choosy and and i've seen a lot of crap for her she's asked to do a lot in promising young woman, so like the the amount of heavy lifting she has to do in this story on an emotional level, we discussed that film on this podcast. I and maybe maybe you saw this in one of the Q and A's you watched because that's what you do now. Um, yeah, <laughs> I have no idea how she coped. I have no idea how she processed from take to take, from day to day. I said during the that podcast, like this is the kind of part that has literally killed some actors and i have no idea how she processed honestly seeing her in q a she like i feel like she's really good at at compartmentalizing i don't think she's a method actor i don't i don't think she's someone who immerses herself psychologically so that herself and the role is is meshed mm-hmm. in their head and i think that happens to a lot of of method actors because that's the way the method works. Yeah. I think she constructs, she's like Daniel Day-Lewis. She constructs this this character completely as a separate entity. And I think you see that in all of her roles. And that I honestly, now I want to write a piece about why Carrie Mulligan is the Daniel Day-Lewis of her generation. There you go. Um, because she is immersed in the role during the production, but because she has created a new person. Yeah. Not because she has embodied the person. She doesn't become the character. She creates a fully realized person separate from herself. And it's it's genius to watch. I was talking about the, the one moment in, in um, Trials of Chicago 7 where you really see the depth of Sasha Baron Cohen's Abby Hoffman. There's a moment in Promising Young Woman where you really see the depth of the psychological world that she's built for this character where she has she has given she is starting to change and then she sees something that alters her even more radically than 
the change that happened to her that turned her into the person that we are now seeing. Yeah. And it happens instantly in this like candy colored, you know, living room. Yeah. And it's, it's such a stunning moment. I love her so much. And I, she's just so talented. I, I'm really a firm believer of the collaboration between Mulligan and Fennel because I really believe that a lot of other performers and writer-directors would have been tempted to play this role up, that would have been tempted to play this as vindictive or play this as really fraught in the showiest sense. These two women came together to create this story about this woman and, are, and, and said to themselves and to each other, every time we underplay this, we are, it is going to be that much more powerful. Like It is going to hit that much harder if we, if we don't dial it to 11 and we keep it firmly at eight and a half because then it's going to have the chance to really hit the audience that much harder. You know, I, I think that is really astute in how they fine tune when to show a little more and yep. when to show a little less and how she's such an, an empathy filled character. And so every moment with pe- the different people that she interacts with alters how she is. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back with the net, the last three categories right after this. back she's mariah i'm ryan we've been talking about oscar nominations uh again we've been doing this on and off for the better part of 10 years so welcome back if if you've heard these conversations something similar to these conversations before we're happy to have you again and if it's your first time here you're in for a treat because there's some great stuff in this conversation already and we're about to get to more of it best actor is a who's who of some unbelievably talented men and some stories that any other year might have had a hard time latching on. So it's uh, one of the bright spots of 2020 in the movies. We have Riz Ahmed for The Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins in The Father, Gary Oldman in Make, and Stephen Yeun in Minari. I want to start with Gary Oldman because as talented a man I think Gary Oldman is, I wasn't as fussed about Mank that I would have given him a nomination in this. No. <laughs> like this is I mean. yeah, this is what we were talking about before when you get a movie that gets a lot of love, Oscar voters tend to get a little carried away and start nominating everybody that had anything to do with that movie. What's really shitty this year is like there are at least two at least two very deserving roles that should or actors who should be in this spot like throw him out yeah amanda say one oh yeah 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 we we got past that you know like for a while there it was this is the most talented actor who hasn't he's never been nominated right and then he got a nomination and then on his next nomination he got a a win and now it's fine yeah (laughs) now yeah now we're like it's it's bad enough that we we gave him the award for basically less He's doing less interesting performances now that he's a critically like or an award winning actor. And well, he doesn't have to try that's anymore. Also frustrating. Yeah, he just yeah. Like, it's you like, know, I don't feel like sixty whatever year old Gary Oldman could do Zorg anymore. No, you know what no, I mean? he couldn't do the professional. He can. He certainly uh, couldn't do Immortal Beloved. I mean, 
he does his thing in Mank. It's, 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 he's fine. That said, he is Mank. Well, yeah. And he is the lead. Yeah, so at he, least they didn't do yes. some sort of category fraud here. Art, art marks for that. Good work. You got, you got, the, yeah, he <laughs> plays Mank in Mank. He is a lead. Okay. T- so tell me about Anthony Hopkins in the plot. Okay. Here's my take on Anthony Hopkins. He's good. Hopkins is always good. Yes. He's rarely bad. Right. Um, what uh, He is the lead. He is the titular father. I think people are nominating him in this role and finding it richer than it maybe is because at one point he cries and, and asks for his mother. And, and it's really hard to watch this distinguished old man completely lose his mind and revert to being a four-year-old right and that's sort of how dementia works and i and i get that on a on a technical level but it's also the year that we had kirsten johnson's dick johnson is dead where you had an actual man with dementia playing himself and i know that dementia is not the same in every person Uh but in in a year where you really got to see it right and then see an actor acting it 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 kind of it feels like acting. Right. Does that does that make sense? And I and I think it's a good acting performance. But it, it when you know the when you've seen a, a, something that is so real and visceral and emotional of Dick Johnson just being Dick Johnson, mm-hmm. I feel like for me, and I don't you know I everyone comes to films differently, but for me that kind of undercut the weight. Riz Ahmed is a man I am such a big fan he, of. You, you, I'm sure you saw this at TIFF. Two years no. ago, like everybody else. No, right? you and you, you know what? Oh my god! I didn't see this at TIFF. I have not seen this in a theater. And you know who's to blame for that, Mariah E. Gates? Is it? Is it me? It's you. <laughs> and you know why? Because you only watch films directed by women. Correct. Then. And there you, you go. know what? Here's the thing. Like, I, I will just to put a point on that because, um, you know, <laughs> I've been doing that for, I think, five years now, including this year when I didn't even have to pick tickets. Like, they were all coming right to my TV. But I'm like, no, I've got my I've got my lane now. I'm staying in my lane. The one thing I will say about the, about doing that is anything I miss, like Sound of Metal or like Parasite or like If Beale Street Could Talk that I miss that I or in the past I would have like jumped right for. Like, they show up within weeks, if not months, sometimes even days finding the kinds of stories I've found and meeting the kind of artists I've met is been a different beast entirely. It's basically turned it into a whole new festival, which I love because I was kind of getting a little weary on it. I mean, shit, it introduced me to Chloe Zhao. While everybody there has been go. losing her, their brains about it for No Man Land, I'm like, hey, I was there four years ago with the Rider guys. So yeah, <laughs> I did not see Sound of Metal at TIFF. Um, well, I, I, I watched it on my TV. Everybody, everybody I know who saw it in 2019 has been like they've all spent what 16 18 months now like talking about this movie because it blew everyone's mind it's the kind of role that that in the racist past of of hollywood would have gone to like some flashy white dude and probably not have been as um complex because it would have been it would have felt like Oscar bait as opposed to just a, a real lived in role. We've got to give props to Amazon for pushing this as hard as they did. Um, it got a lot of love beyond just this is the kind of thing that it like when it first dropped, most people were just thinking this has got to get a nomination for sound. The sound design on this movie is unbelievable. It's got to get a nomination for sound. And that was about all. 
right? Like nobody was talking about it for actor. Yeah. Nobody was talking about it for supporting actor, certainly not for best picture. And when it, you know, didn't get that year end release and got moved into the next year, sometimes that can be no, it was the end of the December. story. Yeah. Like, well, it was dropped in December. No, no, no. But I mean, it, it played, it played TIFF 2019. It didn't play TIFF 2020. Yeah. It played yeah, TIFF 2019. And then they moved it for a whole year. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, like there, there's a lot of movies that play the festival circuit one fall and then drop the next spring, but they don't then kind of come back around come Oscar time. Like I'm thinking yeah. about something like Only Lovers Left Alive as a for instance, right? Like that. Came oh, yeah. Up- or Francis Ha. Francis Ha, same thing. Yeah. Same, same idea. Like- what Amazon did with this one was see, hey, we have an, we have, a potential contender but this year is too packed yep. and we're not gonna we're not gonna you know waste our shot by putting it in the spring we're gonna hold it yeah. for contender season yeah. and and that was smart it was it was really smart and i'm glad they did it riz ahmed is incredibly talented um if people want to see him do something unbelievable uh check out the miniseries uh the night of uh where he's acting opposite bill camp and john Turturro, and he is Fan bloody tastic in it, and I am so excited. I think that, he won an Emmy, right? Didn't he win uh, an Emmy? He, I, I feel like he he got nominated at least, and I am totally here for the Riz Ahmed party. I am everything this man does. I am I'm on board. Um, this movie could have been so much different with with you know another random white boy in this part, but I believe yeah. he brings an added complexity to the part. That's not that's not even part of the deal that's the thing is that we're talking about a muslim actor getting a nomination for a part that has nothing to do with him being muslim and that is where we want to get with uh you know actors actors of color is that they just are you know like as much as these stories are important we also want to work them into the fabric of just stories yeah exactly he i mean literally anybody can be a metal drummer right and and this is a case of actually the best actor for the role got the part. Very much in the same vein. And you'll you'll hear the two men talked about in the same breath a lot this award season. We have Steven Yeun, Iminori. It's been a shitty year and this, this is just is one a, of the best things. This is a makeup for his Yawn and Burning not getting nominated. He has a similar <laughs> face thing in this. He does. He's such a good face actor. And like, first of all, he just should have been nominated for Burning. That is stupid. Yep. That was a snub, yep. and it was a stupid snub. And it was, I'm going to say a racist snub because the handful of Asian Americans and Asian in general, people who have been nominated, it's like you can count them probably acting-wise, I think, on maybe two hands, but barely. Um, Isn't and he, he the first Asian to get nominated in, in lead? Yes. The That's... first Asian American. Okay. Because there have been Asian actors from from Asian films from like England and or from you know yeah. okay got it but he's the first Asian American gotcha which it's crazy that we're ninety three years in and and it's stupid yeah yes yeah and and he's he's stunning in this movie um, and I mean he I feel like he's somebody who can't has shown that he can do anything because his role in this is very different from his role in Burning is very different from his role in. Um, Sorry for bothering you. Sorry oh, yeah. to bother you. Yeah. Steven Yun is just like, you know, you see his name and you know you're in for a good time. And then we arrive at Chadwick Boseman. I believe you, you've, if you're placing money down, I think you've got to bet it on him. So like- I saw this movie in May of last year because I used to, if you haven't 
pieced it together yet. I used to work at the big end. I mostly worked on the awards films. And I saw this film as soon as we had a cut available. I wish I had screenshots of this, but the minute I finished this movie, I immediately went to Slack and like slacked literally everyone I could and said, if Chadwick Boseman does not get a nomination for this performance, let alone win, what are we doing? He was so good that on that not great screening, internal screening system, I could tell that this was above and beyond. Yeah. Several months later, obviously he passes and nobody, people got to see the five bloods before that happened, but no one, few people had seen this film Mm -hmm. knowing, thinking that it wasn't his last film. Almost everyone who saw this film knew it was his last performance, right? I saw this and I did not know it was his last performance. And I, I thought when I was watching it that he was literally trying to prove I am more than these Marvel films. Like he was this great actor and he used Marvel to get him to a place using Marvel to make him somebody who you couldn't say no to. Right. And that's what I thought I was seeing. Right. Mm -hmm. And then obviously he passes and we find out that he'd been ill for years. Yeah. And it made me rethink the whole thing and go, was, was he, was he this good? Cause he, every role he took for the last few years, he knew could be his last role. Like, was he That's was possible. he aware? Uh, was he aware that like if he didn't act with every piece of his soul in this last film, he was never gonna get to do it again? I don't know. But like that's that's where my mind went with this. Yeah. And I rewatched it after the fact, right? After when it was on on Netflix finally, and and I still felt the same like magnetism. It is an absolutely stunning performance. The sad thing I always think about when I think about that performance is that, it, like, I never, nobody knew uh, uh, other than his immediate circle. Nobody knew before that he was sick. This movie, I could tell. Like, this movie, looking at him, I'm like, holy God, he is just hanging on. You know, he's 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 so much svelter than he is in any other movie we've seen. And I'm not even just talking about Black Panther movies. I'm talking about like, like go back to 42 or go back to get on up and look at him. And he's not this skinny. Like he's really, really light in this movie. Let's not dispute the fact that his nomination here is wrapped in tribute and sentiment and listen, rightfully so, which could very well work in his favor because if not for that tribute and sentiment, he's in really tough against Riz Ahmed and Steven Yan, but because that he is a man who is so loved, so talented, did so much with so little time, like he was so bloody young. Well, yeah, and I think this is kind of the point of that story was having seen the film without any of that sentiment, without any of that. Yeah. And not being a huge Chadwick Boseman fan, like I saw Black Panther and that's about it in terms of me seeing his work. I immediately was like, this is an Oscar worthy performance. I get what you're saying. And I absolutely think you can't divorce it in voting. You you see his name and you cry. And I get that. But I think if in another year, like if we removed that and it was just this performance, Although I don't think you can remove it. I think he couldn't have done this performance without it. It's the other part of it. I, I think that this is a performance worthy, regardless of 
anything else. Absolutely. No, I, I, I do. I do agree. Like, that, that's the thing. Like, I don't look at this nomination and think that it's a pity nomination. I would never suggest that. Like, this is a absolutely deserving nomination. Um, we'll come back in a, in, a, in a little bit to the actual promotion of this movie and, and campaigning of this movie. Um, but but that but no, it's it's absolutely a worthy performance and nomination. And, you know, I'd say two to one win as well, which would be an impressive feat because that's only happened either twice twice, twice before. And, and yeah. it's been a very long time since lead. So that that would be really impressive if that is what happens. Over in director, um, we get to have some fun because we have Lee Isaac Chung for Minari, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank, Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Hey, look at that, people. We got two women this time. Holy the shit. First, literally the first time ever. Holy crap. We could have had more. Um, you know, we and it's, but it's not, it's, I will point out though, that it is not the first year that two films by women have been up for best picture that right. happened in 2009 and in 2010. Um, back yeah. when they actually had 10 full categories yeah. that, yeah. you know, they filled it with 10, but, but direct, um, but director's a whole other, but director, it, they were always like, Oh, these movies were best picture worthy, but not the women. No. So David Fincher is here again for mink. David Fincher is going to win an Oscar sometime. I hope not for mink. No, me, <laughs> uh, me too. Like, I, like, let me, let me, let me put this clearly. I am a fan. I'm a fan of this guy. I am the person who will argue your ear off about the curious case of Benjamin Button because the, the erasure of that movie will not stand. I think he actually makes Mank better than it could have been. It's it's still not a great movie. It's still not one of the five best directed movies of this year, and it's not even one of his best directed movies. So welcome back, Mr. Fincher. Enjoy another nomination. You seem to be chalking them up with regularity now. You'll eventually get a trophy just... Not this year. Thomas Vinterberg is here. Welcome, Mr. Vinterberg, for another round. Um, this is a movie I don't think everybody thought was going to get attention outside of international film, but here we are. I mean, this is another one of those stories of of the the film and the story behind the film getting made that I think makes the nomination a little bit more special. This is another Q&A I watched with him talking about... Um how the the film originally had one way it was going to be and then his daughter died in a really horrible car accident and he realized that he needed to sort of recalibrate the film to be not quite as dark as it was originally going to be and to have this very rapturous ending and i and i know for me the ending is really what like is the cherry on the top that really pulls everything together and makes it um something remarkable. Um, and and he did that because he wanted to celebrate life as opposed to just show the dark side of life mm-hmm. as a way to remember his daughter. And I, I think that's lovely. It is. And, and I do think that um, Vinterberg is somebody who has had his films nominated in the past. He, you know, is from the, the very influential Dogma 95 movement Bringing it back to Carrie Mulligan, one of her great performances is in his his take on Far From the Madding Crowd. He's had a great collaboration with Mads Mikkelsen. I'm really mad that, that Mads didn't get nominated. One thing I do want to point out that I think a lot of people are attributing to the opening of memberships to more international voting members mm-hmm. is that's why we're getting these non-English language film 
directors in here, but I don't think that's actually true. It's a swing back to the to what how that used to happen in the in the eighties and seventies and sixties. If you look at the if you look at those decades, those three decades in particular, sixties, seventies, eighties, and to some extent the nineties, because there were two um, Italian filmmakers who made it in in the nineties. This would happen a lot where there would be one or two directors whose films were like Japanese or um, Denmark happened actually several times in Sweden. And um, you would you would see it. And then it kind of went away as the modern campaigning took over. Yeah. So if you really look at the at the specific ways in which game shifted. Yeah. I think that's when you started to see less. Outliers like yeah. this, like, and more and more uh, alignment of five directors, five pictures. Yeah, when the like Harvey Weinstein style campaigning started happening. I mean, this is what you're talking about. Is back when we got nominees like Kijlovsky or Kurosawa, or shit, even uh, Lena Wertmuller. I'm happy to see him here. Um, listen, listen. Between him being here and David Fincher being here, I'm happier that he's here. You know, uh, yeah, if I, I'm going to talk about a spot I throw, that I would give up. I would definitely throw Fincher out for Regina King. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, Lee Isaac Chung is here for Minari. We've talked about that film already, and his, uh, you know, his work on it, his vision, his storytelling, uh, his subtlety in the way he does all of that uh, cannot be understated. He's a guy that was about to give up. Really? <laughs> like he made a few films and they weren't going anywhere and he was about to give up. And um, what he said in one of the Q&A's is that he had decided that, um, you know, his first film ha- had a bit of a um, like it was an indie hit. Right. Sure. And then he had some things that just didn't didn't go anywhere. And he went back to like what a lot of people tell you in film school is like, go back into your childhood, go back into your memories and and find something real that you can craft, right? And so he he decided to do um, an exercise where he would just write memories. Mm-hmm. And he ended up with like 11 pages of memories and did like auto writing almost, you know, like like on the road style, like whatever came out, came out. And then he, he picked the ones that he felt worked as an actual story that maybe other people could relate to, even though the 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 genesis of it came from his childhood and that's how you got this movie. And I think as opposed to like Aaron Sorkin who crafted, you know, the historical thing and then directed it. Right. right, right. Like, I don't think he created a world in the same way. And, and, and that's why I'm grateful to see someone like, um, Chung in here who he not only wrote this world, but he, he, the world was something that only he could bring to life and he does. And you see the, autobiographical touches in it and you know going back to what we were talking about with glenn close like here's two movies about life in the you know poorer corners of america that could not be polar opposites in terms of quality and execution and that is i think emblematic of the type of storyteller that you're talking about with somebody like Lee Isaac Chung, who he he was writing what he knew he was he was telling stories from his childhood and telling a story that we haven't seen on screen very often of Asian Americans trying to make it in middle America, you know, living in a trailer and, and, you know, working of just like shitty ass job in a hatchery. It's like, if I put that on paper, like that should not seem cinematic, but because he's writing from, from a position of power of knowing this story and living this story, he's able to, 
put forward the beauty of it. There's a film from the 80s called, um, I think it's called Country, starring Sam Shepard and Jessica Lange that talks about the hard time farmers were having in the 80s because Reagan was basically like screwing everybody over. And this film is set at that exact same time period and was a time of huge influx of Korean immigration and specifically into that same economics with the farming. They made a movie about about the white farmers as yeah. it was happening. Yeah. And it took a it took a first gen child of those immigrants to get a similar story told yeah. from this perspective. Then we have Emerald Fennel, uh promising young woman. Um I'm obviously really thrilled to see her here um for you know, taking the chance and pushing this movie and telling this story. Any other year, this could have easily been forgot, like right down to the fact that it was supposed to be a springtime release. Thankfully, I think by pushing it, it did better for it because I think they thought they had maybe a best actress and you can drop a best actress in May, yeah. right? And and might be able to make it. I don't think they thought they had a, a winner. No. But they pushed it to try to get money, right? And then it started to pick up steam and suddenly it was like, Oh wait, actually we have a contender. And I think if the, if the pandemic hadn't happened, this movie would have been dropped. It would have been as contentious as it was, but it wouldn't have gotten the steam. And, and that's unfortunate because the way this, the whole game works is you have to drop the films at the right points. Um, Otherwise they're just not going to make it through, which is what happened to, um, Eliza Hittman's film because that film is as good as any of these films oh, and totally. it just it got completely you know like critics can remember but voters cannot you know right one thing I, I wanted to say about uh, Fennel that I I'm gonna throw in another Q&A um, <laughs> nugget take a I drink take a, a drink people I, I know I watched a Q&A with the with the costume designer Nancy Steiner she did the costumes for a bunch of like the iconic 90s music videos and also Twin Peaks The Return okay and also Virgin Suicides. So when she was originally coming up with concepts for Cassie's wardrobe on the, on the page, you know, this is this dark woman was going to be a doctor and her whole life has spiraled. And now she lives in her parents' house and works at a dead end job. Right. So her brain immediately went to like goth, dark, drab stuff. And, and Fennel was like, no, this is a woman who wears a costume every day. When she goes out at, at night and she is, you know. When she, she's stalking. Yeah. She puts on the, the garb of, of, a, of a, a dumb drunk girl, right? Right. But during the day, she's also wearing a costume. She is wearing hot pink and she's wearing girly like florals and things because she is projecting some, a version of herself that isn't actually who she is on the inside. That's how, I mean, that's something like a writer director would know, right? Yeah. Like she created this character and she knew, not, it's like costuming that is costuming because it's psychological costuming. Yeah. It's, no, it's, it's brilliant. Every every single, like every single thing in this movie is is specifically tailor-made and chosen. Like, I, you know, I like there's, there's just, scores of books about Hollywood directors who are meticulous and and everything happens for a reason. I totally believe Emerald Fennell is one of those artists who 
had a say, you know, in, in everything about this movie, like right down to the, the nail polish and what nail was what color. Then we've got Chloe Zhao, who right now is the front runner and has just continued to be this entire very, very long award season and just does not seem to be letting up. She made history being the first woman since Barbara Streisand, who was the first woman to be nominated for Golden Globe to win, which is preposterous, yeah. like utterly preposterous. <laughs> I'm just enamored and curious about this woman's career and where she goes from here. She's got a damn superhero movie on the shelf waiting to drop. I don't know what else she's going to do going forward, but I am here for it. She has an unbelievable way of telling her stories. She is so empathetic, so compassionate. Her eye is unbelievable as a photographer what's lovely is the cinematography uh, and he got nominated um but i think he shot all of her films except maybe eternals is her is her life partner they met in film school clearly were aligned in their vision creatively and have crafted three stunning films about the american west the reason she ended up in the in the in the west was she read about a, a town that I, it was like the devil's something and liked the name of it because she knew she wanted to shoot her her um, thesis film somewhere, you know, random, right? right. And <laughs> just picked the town because she liked the name of it. But because she is so empathetic and so good at, at like finding human stories, which you would think filmmakers should be able to do, but <laughs> as you well know, a lot of films don't feel like anyone has ever met a human right. in their life. Right. Um, she found this these people, and that's how she ended up making um, songs my brother taught me. And then that's how she made the writer. And then Nomadland came to her because she'd made those two films. And and um, immediately, Frances McDormand was like, you are the filmmaker to bring this to life. I think her career and the way that it just sort of happened without purpose, but with a point of view is really fascinating um it's crazy yeah. because in a way like she is the opposite of lee isaac chung like lee isaac chung is telling a story that is his story you know so he it is very unique to his point of view and his upbringing and his reality this is not Chloe Zhao's reality. This is something that she believes in. She looks at these stories, these people, this corner of this country and says, this is something that has value and is, is deserves to be painted with the same kind of brushes that like Terrence Malick used to use and still does, I should say. That says something. You know, when you're going outside of yourself and telling the story of, I don't want to say the downtrodden, but if you're telling a story about, that's not about privileged white people, because you find it beautiful and cinematic. I'm interested to see if she can actually take that skill and bring it to the like manicured world of a superhero film totally i i like i mean right now i am lighting every candle and tossing coins into every fountain that this road that she's been on since november and december when critics started handing out awards goes to where it needs to go because my i've i've seen a lot of things that seem to be a done deal and then not be a done deal but i really want this to to come to fruition and just the last thing i'll say about her taking this goodwill and turning it to Marvel for her next trick is if nothing else, she went to them. 
Like she had an idea for this title that's not one of their sexiest properties and pitched it to them. And they said, yeah. So what you're going to see is her vision for these gods and monsters. Um, and, and that that may change the nature uh, of, of what kind of story we see in relation to what kind of story we normally see. So in Best Picture this year, we have eight titles. Next year, they're going to go back to having 10, period. And they should have just had 10, and I'm mad about it. I Listen, the, the, the other person who normally does this show with, on years where it's not you is adamant to go back to five. But uh, I, I, I just kind of want to throw you two into a room and let you... <laughs> beat each other bloody well what happened when they shifted from the two years that it was 10 and it had to be 10 you had two films each year directed by women yeah Yeah. each year and then every year since you might get one and it it negatively affected films by women because it negatively affected independent cinema and and this and this year we're back to two so we have yeah other judas and the black messiah mank minari nomadland promising young woman sound of metal and the trial of chicago seven we have talked about all these movies already i'm gonna ask you again about the father because you've seen it and i haven't are you surprised that it's here at very much. Maybe if I'd seen it in the theater, it would be a different case. I think the editing is stunning. Mm-hmm. Of all of the nominations, I think the editing is the most deserved. It feels like the requisite British film. Oh, okay. And if you look, it is the requisite British film. Gotcha. In here. Okay. Um, it is all British actors. It's very British. There's a lot of films I would have put in here that oh, I yeah. think cinematically were more interesting but i also aside from it being the british film i also think that um it probably resonated with the older voters it's not just about the father losing himself to his dementia but it is also about the stress and and pressure and guilt of getting to a place where an elderly parent can no longer live on their own and you have to make the decision to put them in a nursing home and you you know that it is the right decision, but it never feels like the right decision. That is a real feeling and it does capture it well. And I do think that on an emotional level, it's probably of all of these films, the one that the most people, at least of a certain age, it resonates with something real that they have felt. At this stage of the game, it very well may be the next episode of this show, so we'll probably be talking about it more next time when people tune in. But for right now, I can only defer to you. I just remember when I went on the show and I talked about how I didn't like Philomena or All is Lost, and all of the comments on your site were that I hate old people, and I want to make it very clear that I do (laughs) not hate old people. Raya Gates does not hate old people. (laughs) I, I do not hate old people. Judas and the Black Messiah is here, which... Good work campaigning, Warner Brothers. Uh, you know, uh, the main my main feeling here is that I'm just glad it wasn't the Jared Leto film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, the, yeah, those, were like, their two, those were those two films. I don't think there's been a year in the last 20 years that WB didn't have at least one film in there. Mm-hmm. This was their film this year. I'm really glad it's this one and not the other one. I, I'm always happy that Black Stories um, get representation in this category um, because I believe that they're important. And I, and I think I think this is Brian Coogler's first Oscar nomination. Yeah, so so I mean, it's a very... Yeah, like, like it's good. grateful that Ryan Coogler is finally an Oscar nominee. Ryan Coogler, he deserved many times over. Yeah, this is his first nomination. Oh, good for him. He should have been nominated for directing Black Panther. He should have been nominated for writing um, uh, Fruitvale Station. He should have been nominated for everything that he did for the first Creed. 
So like it's it's overdue for him in this organization. Yeah, he's like I mean he's another artist that everything he does I go. You know, like yes, I I'm I'm absolutely. totally totally in for for Ryan Coogler. As well, I am I'm also happy that it's uh it's a it's a nomination of three producers and they happen to be three producers of color. So there there are worse it's things. The, it's the first time that a film completely produced by black people has been nominated mank is here because it's a movie about movies and those are the kind of movies that oscar lovers vote for um i'm wondering if mank is going to be this year's irishman that's got a ton of nominations and walks away with precious bloody little if not nothing except that the irishman is really good and deserved well we can argue about that later but um, okay good good work mank you're campaign team did it did its job it's not a bad movie but i i feel like there was a better movie in there when i look at make i'm 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 not looking at what it was there but i'm looking at other movies that could be there that are not um yeah you know that, that that's my my thing um minari is here and i am so grateful it's here i want to shout out christina oh i saw her in a q a and she's of course you fire. Did. like she is amazing she clearly has like a midas touch she started out as an assistant to uh dd gardner who obviously is brad pitt's partner in plan b and um so she has all these um assistant roles for all kinds of films that you're like oh wow and then started working as a producer and she produced Okja. She worked on Vice, but wasn't one of the ones that was qualifying for not getting the nomination, unfortunately. She produced The Last Black Man in San Francisco. She did Ad Astra. She did The King. Wow. Okay. And then she did Minari. Yeah. Plan B in in, in general, like, I don't, I, I don't love Brad Pitt. Of all of the stars of his like stratosphere the fact that basically he started a production company so that he can make whatever the heck he wanted for himself yeah and then was like you know what i'm gonna also use this to make like the most diverse slate of films for the last 20 years because he he can yeah yeah clearly he's got you know he's his his heart is very much in the right place even though he's a bit of a mess totally yeah, yeah. Minori, I mean, I, I don't think it's trending as hard as it should be to actually pull off a win. Uh, but if it did, I, I would be just over the moon because I love the hell out of that movie. Nomadland right now is your your front runner. Um, I am happy to see it because Nomadland and its entire team looked at the landscape of the autumn schedule and they're like, screw it. We're, we're putting ourselves out there. Like there are a lot of other movies of its ilk that decided to hold themselves back and wait. This is exactly the kind of landscape we want and we can totally capitalize on this. And I'm so happy to see that their bet is paying off. I do love that Francis McDormand was so taken with this book and immediately knew that Chloe was the right filmmaker for this story. And and I think they were at the Independent Spirit Awards. It was the year I think she was maybe up for three billboards and Chloe had the writer and oh, yeah. she like went up to her at the Spirit Awards and was like, I, I read this book. I want you to read, I want to make the movie with you. What do you think? And she was just like, sure, let's do it. I know for a fact she is the first woman to get nominations as a producer, director, editor, and um, screenwriter. Right. Promising Young Woman is here. Um, again, amazing job uh, campaigning this movie proper. And I mean, listen, there were a lot of film fans that were yelling for this movie to get released because it was supposed to drop right around the time that everything closed down. And then like, you know, while stuff was starting to show up on demand, 
there was no promise of this movie. It was just one of these indie movies floating out in the ether. Like, um, what's that one you keep clamoring about with uh, with Dev Patel? Is it the King? The Green King? Oh, oh, the Green Knight. Green Knight, you know, it's like A twenty four. Yeah, like every, yeah. everybody was thinking, like you know, like promising young woman in the Green Knight. Like, when are we going to see these? Like, people were ready to put up three billboards and, about those. The thing about the Green Knight that's so depressing is it was supposed to open at at South by, and then South by got canceled, yeah. and they were like, "We're taking this movie, and we're never giving it to you." Yeah. So good work, focus on on taking promising young woman to the promised land. That was no small feat uh sound of metal same thing amazon like way to go and what's crazy with that is like they put the budget behind one night in miami yeah you, you really thought one night in miami was gonna be the one with six nominations and not sound of metal i have no explanation because neither of those films feel in a crowded studio year yeah neither of them really feel like they would have made it no. even though they're both deserving yeah. um but if if i were gonna bet this year i would have had my money on one night in Miami. So yeah, I don't know. And then the trial of the Chicago seven yeah. Good work Netflix. I will say this was originally paramount and they, um, sold it to Netflix because they knew that they couldn't handle it. But I just <laughs> That's mean what happened like, there. I would love to. And I, I mean, you, you kind of got to wait until they eventually pull off a best picture, but I would love to see a book on the Netflix campaign team because they have, figured out this game very quickly very successfully when you think about movies like marriage well, story and roma and irishman it's the, the thing is and this is public information so this is not me saying okay. anything yeah. uh that hasn't been said the woman who runs the awards team she ran it for a24 and that's how they got moonlight is is literally the woman who wrote the book um she worked with harvey weinstein in this 90s she is the reason you know, all of those Miramax movies either won a million awards or got nominated for a million awards. She pretty much created modern film campaigning. So then, you know, and, and they still and then she went to A24 because A24 was smart and they knew that they had the best films or some of the best films and they needed her. And at that point, she was a freelance person. And so she they brought her in and that's how Moonlight got happened. And, you know, grateful for it because <laughs> Moonlight needed it was good but it needed, needed the someone who knew yeah. who knew the game yeah. and played it perfectly to get it all the way through and and then netflix threw a bunch of money on her the talent exists out there and and yeah. you know there, there's there's studios that have just been sitting on the sidelines and watching for decades sometimes and it's just because they either don't want to play the game or don't know who the players are and this is clearly a sign that netflix knows who the players are and has a desire to play the game so Good work. Which I, you know, is is debatable. Is that great? Like, there's also lots of studios that just don't have the money to play the game, and that's unfortunate and not not at all. Oh no, no, like, fair. I, I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm not trying to cast shade on like, I'm not trying to cast shade on Oscilloscope, or I'm not trying to cast shade on Focus. I'm staring squarely at a studio like Sony. I would understand how focus can't get a leg up in this game when they're competing with a corporate conglomerate like sony or disney or or that kind of thing i mean you know there's another one how come disney hasn't parlayed this into a win just yet you know like that they've got all they've got more money than god and they know who the talented players are do like the new york yankees go out there and buy them i don't know who knows anyway we're gonna take a break here we're gonna come back with uh just a few more thoughts our predictions and wrap up the show right after this
We're back. She's Mariah. I'm Ryan. We've been talking for a long time about the Oscar nominees, and this is the part of the show where we talk about omissions and trends. People like to use the word snub. That is not at all correct because snub is one person, snub, you know, disrespecting one other person. When a whole bunch of people manage to skip over somebody usually deserving, that is an omission. What was the first thing that came to mind when you looked over this list and what and who was missing? 100% Delroy Lindo, because I think that Chadwick, uh, if he had, a, like, if he lived, that's a really sad thing to say, he could have done what Delroy did into Five Bloods, right? He would get there. Yeah. Like, I don't think uh, Gary Oldman could have done what Delroy did into Five Bloods oh, no. at all. No, totally. Like, you know, we've, we've just spent a year, uh, most of us have just spent a year away from theaters, like stuck in our homes, watching movies from our couch. And the one thing I will say is one of the movies I desperately want to see on a big screen more than any other is to five bloods because it is goddamn marvelous. Like there is so much going on in that movie. Um, it, it it's, it's a masterpiece by an, uh, by an, director who has several masterpieces under his belt by now it, it is a an acting clinic not just by delroy lindo like delroy lindo is oh, doing some that whole cast yeah, is stunning holy yeah. shit like Clark yeah, peters you know like Ugh. like we're talking about a movie where um jonathan majors isn't even on like you know the first line you know, like when you're going up against guys like Isaiah Whitlock Jr. and Norm Lewis uh, and, and Clark Peters, like he's he's doing the best he can with the minutes he gets. But it's not exactly like he's getting that many touches with the ball. And yeah, Delroy Lindo. Holy shit. Is he acting his ass off in that movie? Um, he, he he hits a Shakespearean level of like ascension yeah. in that monologue in the in the jungle that no none of these actors no. i think chadwick had he had the life experience of delroy like had he been in his 60s could have maybe done that yep. in 25 years but nobody i don't even know that anthony hopkins and i know anthony hopkins is a shakespearean actor i don't know that he could have done that oscar campaigns are a game and part of playing any game is timing your move um don't get me wrong i was thrilled in june to finally get some new big content on my screen but if this movie dropped in november or december we might be having a very different conversation this movie just kind of made its bet a little bit too early um and and other things came into play beyond lindo in terms of things like direction and production and and right even up down to picture cinematography yeah i'm i'm sad editing. i'm sad that it's not there if anyone's interested if you go to youtube and type in netflix film jonathan majors um i did a really great interview with him where he talks about the creation of his character oh. and there's like little things that i didn't even notice until he pointed it out and i was like whoa that that kid's got uh, got a future oh my god that guy i <laughs> i will i will include a show note about that video um in the in the post for this uh podcast so go take a look for that um you know the other movie that I, I thought actually could have done a little bit better than it did, even though it did get some love, um, and we've mentioned it once or twice already, um, One Night in Miami, Regina King's direction, um, Picture, okay. I really think this is a movie, you know, I would happily swap this in for Trial of Chicago 7. Um, One Night in Miami is a fantastic movie that shows 
the power that can come in small conversations. It's a directing clinic. It's an acting clinic. Um, I, I really thought it had a chance to do a little bit more damage. I mean, it's getting a Criterion release, though. So it's it's a film that's going to have its place in the canon regardless. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I'm and I'm grateful for that. And I, I can't wait to see what she does next as a director. I think she clearly has a vision and will likely do another brilliant film. It gave us a spotlight on Regina King's direction. And it's not even like, it's not her first time directing. Like she's got plenty of credits under her belts, but it's her first feature. And Lord knows it will not be her last. This is a woman who is peaking at the right time. You know, if I had told you in 1996 that the four leads of Jerry Maguire were going to have three Oscars between them, come 20 years later and, and, and one the of them would not one... be tom cruise yeah you which, believe first me of all, okay no but first of all he should have one for magnolia so there's that this is true um he's stunning in magnolia this is true. i will go for bat for that yeah. one other omission i wanted yeah, to bring up and maybe it's not quite an omission in that it didn't have much traction but i i think deserved to spot sure. in original screenplay is the vast of night um oh, yeah I think the va- I think sci-fi still continues to be just ignored, frankly. Unless, you know, maybe sort of quasi sci-fi superhero stuff is slowly like Black Panther slowly is helping right, that right. kind of door. But in terms of just like straight up sci-fi, like you haven't seen like in the seventies you had two films get tons of stuff. They were both you know, Star Wars and, and, um, and oh, Close Encounters, encounters yeah. right? Right? But the, since then, it's every maybe five years, sci-fi will find a way in, right? And it's almost always in the original screenplay um, or adapted screenplay, depending. But screenplay is usually actually always in special effects. Yeah. But in terms of, like, crafts beyond special effects. Of all of the films that I watched towards the end of the year, the one that I avoided the longest was The Vast of Night because it felt like the kind of film that I would hate. <laughs> It really did, um, partly because of the kind of people who liked it. I was like, oh, oh boy, I don't know. Right. And but I was like, you know what? I, it's on Amazon. I'm going to watch it. Let's you know, this is when I, I didn't have my job anymore. And I was I had a, like a lot of time and I was like, I'm just going to watch things. And and that movie stayed with me. I think it, it had things it wanted to say. It created these characters that all could have easily felt like fake 50s actors but instead it really felt like a film from the 50s hmm. like if you turned it into black and white and told me it was from 1956 i'd believe you so that's one where i feel like the screenplay really should have been considered um i also think there's a uh, there's a specific tracking shot in it that is stunning and and it should have maybe maybe been worth a cinematography nomination just for that shot alone because um it's impressive without being showy right. which is a feat well, shit. Now, you, um, now you've got me curious. Have you seen no. it? No. Oh, okay. okay so I, gotta, I, gotta I recommend it. it. All right. I'll, I recommend it. We'll definitely yeah. watch it soon. Okay. So we are going to make our way too early predictions. And as always, we reserve the right to change our opinions on these as time gets closer because these are a stock market and stocks go up and down. We're going to start with screenplay adapted. We have Borat subsequent movie film, The Father, Nomadland, One Night Miami, The White Tiger. What do you pick? I kind of think Chloe might sweep. Hmm. I feel like that's a possibility. Okay. Um, but if if she doesn't sweep, I th- I think it'll be one night in Miami. Okay. Um, well, I will I will go with the Chloe love. I will say that 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 is 
where she will pick up uh, an unexpected win. Um, it, it just seems to be the right time. Original screenplay, we have Judas and the Black Messiah, Minari, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, Trial of Chicago 7. Part of me thinks that there's still too many old voters and it's going to go Aaron Sorkin. Probably. But I, I think the two big like splits if that doesn't happen is between Minari and promising young woman, because I don't think either is going to win best picture. And I don't think either is going to win best director. And so I think the prize for either of these movies is going to be, unfortunately they're in the same category. If they were in split categories, I would say one would go to one and one would go to the other. So your choice is God damn it. Um, (laughs) I'm going to go with uh, Minari. Okay. I'll go with promising young woman. Even though I, in my heart, I want it to be promising young woman. Um, I, I think Minari's going to, I think this is where he's going to get his, his flowers. Love. Gotcha. Supporting yeah. actress, Maria Bakalova, Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, Amanda Seyfried, Yoon Yoo Jung. So my heart wants it to go to Maria. Right. I think she is the only one where she's the only one who could have done what she did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've seen Scent of a Woman and I know that sometimes you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get another chance. I'm going to vote for this person who should have won six times before. Yeah. And so I, I'm really afraid that. Are you choosing close? Win. Oh, my goodness. I really think she I really think people unless everyone just truly hates her. OK. And that's why she keeps losing. Okay. I think this might be a pity win. I, and, OK, I will yeah. make this the night WTF moment and I will choose Yun Yu Jung. Nobody will see that, that coming. Would, that would be amazing. Yes, that would. would be like the Tilda Swinton win. Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Best Supporting Actors. Sasha Baron Cohen, Daniel Kaluuya, Leslie Odom Jr., Paul Racy, Lakeith Stanfield. I think it's going to be Daniel Kaluuya because he is sort of the up and coming actor Balance. of yeah. all of these. Yeah. Like he's the biggest like and he was so snubbed for Widows. Um, I know you don't like the term snub, but I'm going to say it. Sure. Um, <laughs> but if he and Lakeith split the votes... Um, I could definitely see Paul Racy coming in and being the big surprise win. I, I mean, it would be a bonkers night if 30 minutes into the show, you have Paul Racy and Yu Yu Jung holding trophies. People you know, are going to be like, what am I watching? So, that I would know. be amazing to see. But anybody who's not us would look at that and go, I have no and idea. And be like, what? Yeah. I've never heard of these. Um, yeah. I will. I'll go with Kaluuya. I, I think I think that he'll he'll parlay his his early love into a win. Here's here's one stacked race of best actress: Viola Davis, Andre Day, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, Carrie Mulligan. I'm going to go with Carrie Mulligan. I know that Andre Day had an upset at the Golden Globes, but I feel like I I can't be the only person who feels like Carrie Mulligan like has earned this for like 12 years of doing nothing but phenomenal performances. Yeah, I'll second you on that. You know? Carrie Mulligan, for sure. Best actor, I think this one's easy too. Uh, Riz Ahmed, uh, Chadwick Boseman, Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, Stephen Yeun. I mean, it's it's gotta be Chadwick. If it's not Chadwick, that'll be the biggest upset of the night. Yeah, and I mean, again, like if it's not Chadwick and it happens to be Riz or Steven, it's an upset. I'd be it's happy. an upset and, and yeah. it's happy, but it's just like, you know, that, that one's- If it's Anthony or Gary Oldman, it's just like, what are you Come doing? They both, they both won, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Best director, you we know. have Lee Isaac Chung, Emerald Fennell, David Fincher, Thomas Vinterberg, Chloe Zhao. It's basically Chloe's to lose at this point, and I, I, if she does, I'm gonna, I'm gonna literally cry. Yeah, like I will lose my yeah, mind. Yeah, me too. I, I, it's deserved. Yeah, and it's time. Yeah, I just hope it doesn't take another eleven years for another woman to be holding the trophy. Uh, yeah. Last but not least, best picture: The Father, Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal. 
The Trial of the Chicago 7. I think we need to remind viewers who maybe don't know how this works, but Best Picture has a preferential ballot. Right. None of the other categories do. Yes. So that's why you get things like uh, Spotlight winning. Right. Right. Or Green Book. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, it's literally because like a Green Book will get the least amount of number ones, but it will get the most middles. Right. Right. So what you got to think about is like, what's going to get the most middles? And I'm, I hate that I'm going to say this, but I'm pretty sure Trial of Chicago 7 is going to get the most middles. Oh, boy. And I'm really upset. And I really hope that's not the case. And and that Nomadland comes out on top. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. But I, I you know, and, and like last year, I really thought that um, – like we were going to have a, a bad day and it was going to suck. And then um, Parasite came out on top and it was really shocking. So maybe Nomadland will will be able to do the same thing. I don't know, but I have a bad feeling. The, the, the way those middles are tabulated is the bottom of the class is eliminated first. And then those votes are reallocated until you get one yeah. clear number one. The biggest part of the Academy is the actors branch. Right. And I mean, we'll see where SAG goes. Obviously that's what you call it. The too early, like SAG hasn't made its choice yet, but the fact that the trial of Chicago seven has so many actors in it and is such an actor's movie. Mm -hmm. That's another thing where it could just get a ton of of middle of the road votes, not just from the boomers, but also just from all the actors because of it being such an acting movie. Right. I don't know. But going back to your point, like one of the things I think is interesting to look at is if you go back to the Green Book year, if you were to stack up all of these movies and say which are going to be the first ones cut, like which ones in that vote one to nine or one to eight or whatever it happens to be, what's going to come in eight, seven and six. And then you got to think about where are those votes going to go in the green book year, the eight, seven and six were movies like vice and Bohemian Rhapsody. You have to ask yourself where are the people who voted for vice and Bohemian Rhapsody, what's going to be their number two and number three. And when you come up with green book, it's like, yeah, that checks, you know, you go back to last year, with Parasite, those eight, seven, six movies were more stuff like Marriage Story, Little Women, possibly Jojo Rabbit. And it's like, where are those votes going to go? Of course, they're going to go to Parasite. So when you come down to this year and, you know, ask yourself, what is the eight? You know, and maybe the eight is the father. It's like, where are those votes going to go? Do you think the and I think the father votes are going to go Tra to Chica Chicago, Chicago Seven. Seven. Okay. Because those are the two old movies, Maybe. in my opinion. I don't hate old people, but those are the two old people movies. Maybe, but I think the Seven movie might be Judas and the Black Messiah, and I don't think those votes are going Well, actually, those votes are probably... Those votes Shoot. might also go to Chicago uh, Seven. I might have just disproved my own point. Judas, Judas is the better version of the same story, True. so they'll put Judas first and then Chicago Seven. Oh, for people who, who are voting for... Um, you know, to clear their liberal consciousness, right? right? Okay. Like those are the two movies. That's just what I'm saying. Yeah. It sucks. See, I thought this was fate of company, but now it. I just talked myself into worry. Okay. I'm, I'm, I hate I'm, it. I hate yeah, it. I'm still going to bet on no man land just because I think it's because you know that the people who, who voted for promising young woman, that's not going to go to Chicago seven, no. but like, where's that going to go? Right. And like Mank, Mank is kind of mostly old people probably yeah, like that one okay. too. Cause they, cause they like, they 
they like that they get the references. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the other people who got the references were like, yes, but we want more, right? I, but like the voting body just likes that they got the references. I'm just going to be hopeful. Is, I'm just, I'm is, just, yeah, I'm just, listen, I'm just going to be hopeful. Put something good out yeah. there. There we go. That is episode 257 <laughs> of the Matinee Cast. I am so thankful for Mariah for coming by and spending so much time with me. Come on back on Monday, April 5th for episode 258. I'm pretty sure we're going to be discussing the father, but hey, it's all sticks in the wind right now these these things change from day to day mariah still writes all over the place um do you have anything coming up that you want to plug i just wrote a piece about how the music of the weekend and the themes in the science fiction of philip k dick are aligned and if that piques your interest of ha- me arguing why that is the case um please head over to nerdist and read that um, I also have a weekly column with um, Movie Phone where I highlight a new film directed by a woman and an older film directed by a woman every uh, week. And this week's in particular is interesting because it is an anthology film called Phobias that had five directors, three of whom were women, one of whom was making her directorial debut. She is an actress named Camilla Bell. Um, so if you're a fan of her, you'll see her first film. And I got to interview these three women and they talked about um, – working on this film and making an anthology, but then they also all talked about um, films that inspired them as filmmakers and they picked three very different films. And so it's very exciting to put out um, this column that is recommending this new film, but also three very different films, all directed by women um, because women can do anything. Check it out, people. It's awesome stuff. And that's on movie phone. That is on movie yeah. phone. Uh, there'll be a link uh, for everything in the show notes. So please do. People want to, and they should follow you on Twitter. Where can they find you? Um, I am old film slicker. <laughs> you say that with <laughs> always. <laughs> yeah, just always. Thank you. I'm just cranky all the time. So if I'm cranky, I apologize. I haven't left my house really for a year. So we're all cranky. I don't <laughs> there know. There we go. I'm just, I'm finding that I'm disliking my own Twitter presence lately. So I'm just warning people that I'm being cranky and then feeling bad about my own crankiness. There's a reason why most of my Twitter is is gifts and b- movie covers. Okay, that's, that's I need to that. shift back to that. Cause I'm just, just I'm just disliking my own self. I, I, I think we all are. My my site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in the usual places, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google, Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can also find them in some new places, TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, and Podchaser. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. If I don't have my show on a service you use, please let me know and I'll put it there. Feedback on any of our Oscar shenanigans can be left in the comments section of the site. You can tell me why I'm wrong. Everybody does. You may as well. You can email Ryan at the matinee.ca. Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA. Enjoy your book covers and your movie gifts. Uh, and there's always Facebook. Facebook.com slash dark matinee. Any final thoughts, Miss Gates? Keep watching like this level of films. I, th- I think just because there weren't a lot of studio films clearly didn't mean there weren't a lot of good films and you should have that mindset every year. Yeah. Like, you know, I know we're all talking about getting back to normal, but maybe this is a, maybe this is a better normal. There's a website called Pajiba and they did a whole alt um, Oscars this year. That was just, they just, they were like, this year's Oscar was actually very good, but here is a whole other selection of of films and even that was great i'll include a link to it that was too. A gr- it was a it was a great year and it was like there's just so many good films that people actually talked about because they were the only films they could watch yeah. and it was like when they're the only films 
you realize that actually film is good. And and that's what I learned when I did a year with women. It was like, I got rid of all of these like tentpole films and it was great. Yeah. And now I've just slowly let the like male um, independent filmmakers back in and it's still great. So, <laughs> you know. Well done. For Mariah, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee and at Oscar night. <laughs>